0: Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art, on WGXC, produced in Toronto by New Adventures in Sound Art, or NASA. Past editions of Making Waves are available online on the WaveFarm Archive and on NASA's SoundCloud page. At this time, New Adventures in Sound Art is in the midst of the Deep Wireless Festival of Radio and Transmission Art. For today's show, I interviewed Nicola Feldman Kiss, as well as members of SubZero Arts, about the installations they have made for Deep Wireless. Bread and Circuses by Nicola Feldman Kiss responds in real time to the geolocative telling of world narrative. The immersive audio installation remixes live RSS headlines delivered by synthesized orators. The artwork blends first-person witnessing and global statistical accounts with regional official and corporate media reportage. It is being exhibited at Interaccess in Toronto from February 16th to March 25th.
1: In a 2012 conflict, Turkey versus PKK, an estimated 811 people were killed. In a 2012 conflict, India versus Kashmir insurgents, an estimated. One hundred and forty-one people were killed in a two thousand and twelve conflict. The United States of America and France versus Al Qaeda. An estimated two hundred and twenty-one people were killed in a two thousand and twelve conflict. Azerbaijan versus Republic of Nagorno Karabakh. An estimated twenty-five people were killed. You mentioned
0: uh, very very briefly. You alluded to um, having traveled uh, overseas and in your you're writing about the project you elaborated more about that about being an embedded guest of the Canadian Armed Forces Um, and from that experience is your how has your perception of the news changed?
2: Well it's kind of a funny thing because it's not something we all don't know already I think that if any you know if you ask anybody who has been involved or has first-hand knowledge of a news story um, that person will usually be able to point out errors in the story in the re- reporting of the story um, so the same thing goes on a, on a larger scale so I was actually um, traveling in Sudan for a month embedded in the United Nations mission in Sudan and uh, as a guest and this was an experience that was um, organized for me by the Canadian Forces Artists Program and one of the reasons why I, went to, I wanted to go to Sudan because I really could have proposed to go to any Canadian Forces project um, is because the, the conflict in Sudan is generations old, has a lot to do with colonialism and, um, and so-called independence, post-colonialism, late 1950s. And it was not a conflict I could understand um, really at all by reading any kind of... Um, Western press or analysis. uh, Really, what I could understand is that there seems to have been a war waging for many, many years, generations, and that at any given time there it would be expected that there were communities um, conflicting in Sudan, whether it be Darfur or in in, in southern Sudan or uh, northern Sudan, if the northern Part of Sudan, which was um, at the time that I traveled, it was all one country. It's now um, it's now two independent countries. But it was, uh, from my impression of this country, as long as I had known anything about geopolitics, and, and I've sort of studied geopolitics since I was a teenager, that I, I couldn't understand this war. But some of the um, most uh, famous photojournalism journalists, rather um, Notchway and. Uh, Kevin Carter, both uh, traveled to Sudan and made substantial bodies of work from that country. Uh, So I really wanted to go and see for myself if um, I could make head or tail of uh, what motivated the conflict there. And uh, mostly what I recognized is that the the press, the stories that we get in the Western press about uh, that country, now those countries are... um, uh, are articulated in a way that a Western uh, readership might understand. But when I arrived in that country, and I, I didn't, you know, I, I went to six different um, UN bases and I participated as a, um, a guest military observer, so my experience um in the country was very deep. I really did go to places and have experiences that were really unlikely that I would ever be able to have if I had not been in that kind of unique and privileged circumstances. Yet at the same time, I was very cognizant of the fact that I wasn't really in Sudan. I was in the in, in the UN, as if the UN itself was, you know, a, 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 an entity, it's like an alien entity. And because of traveling with the UN and um, being associated with the UN, there was a kind of rapport that um, I was able to gain with what they call mission communities. That was not the same kind of rapport or relationship I would have built had I been independent. So um, my experience of the uh, of the country was filtered through the United Nations, which is primarily a a Western-style filter optic. Um, So when I was there, I realized that there were events that occurred that were indescribable to uh, a layperson such as myself back home. And it took traveling and seeing with my own eyes to understand the um, massive divide between what is describable and understandable by a Western lay audience and what actually was occurring and why the conflicts perpetually occurred. So really I started to you know sort of challenge the idea of, of, of like our equipment to imagine, our personal equipment to imagine some of these conflicts that are described ad nauseum to us Via the news, and so I, I wanted to make a piece that um, that that challenged the veracity of news and pointed out the um, you know, sort of the, the massive information product that we're subject to. You know, every minute, every day, twenty-four hours a day. That's that that is relentless. Um, if we follow the news at all.
0: And yet it's it seems to be that it's ever present, but at the same time it's dis- distant or disassociated from the from the subject it's that it's talking about
2: well, it's disassociated because it's it can't really describe the subject in ways that we can understand because our imaginations i think are limited by our experience it takes a tremendous amount of empathy to be able to take that leap from the words that we hear from the press to an embodied experience that might belong to somebody who is native to that place.
0: But that's not something you tried to do with this piece, though. Um, You didn't try to connect the dots for the public uh, at all, or did you do that in other artworks since you came back from Sudan?
2: Yeah, I have I've made quite a few artworks since, um, since that journey in 2011. It really was something that took hold of me. And, um, and also, it's very easy to sort of normalize our surroundings. So it's an experience I've tried actively to hold on to by studying the news and becoming um, more and more informed about the nature of conflicts in different places and the role of capitalism and resource greed um, domination and um, and uh, the sort of the, the com- continued imperial wars that take place around the world over domination of resources uh, this particular bread and circuses piece um, well bread and circuses goes back to um, second century Rome and. Poet um, coined by uh, poet Juvenal, and it describes um, the generation of public approval through palliative diversion. So it really is, um, you know, superficial entertainment. And the idea of bread and circuses is that as long as the populace has its most immediate needs of bread. Um, food, paninens or census, uh, so food and entertainment, then the polity doesn't dig deeper into um, sort of the political roots of um, any given situation.
0: Right, which is kind of similar to the Brechtian ideas around information and diversion.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and and, and it's bigger even than diversion because it's oversaturation. And so, you know, it's very difficult to sort of just live in in any kind of equanimity and be attentive to the news because it creates a kind of pervasive anxiety. And I tend to think that um, one way to, you know, to feel okay about being in the world is by doing in the world and um, because of our sort of globalized society now and the possibility of getting information from everywhere all at the same time um, it, it puts us in a position of sort of um, well in a way we're, we're um, emasculated there's nothing we can do about with this little to nothing we can do about these conflicts yet our um, our leadership continues to participate in them but as individuals there's little or nothing that we can do we can help refugees when they take flight um, but there's not much we can do for the actual family who lives in a you know mud hut who who, who, who can't grow crops because the happenstance of bombing uh, cultivation or harvest season it's n- there's not much we can do to h- serve those individual people from our place of listening so I think that the result is a tremendous anxiety I, I-, I, think, I think we saw this with sort of the fatigue of the American election coverage mm-hmm.
0: So how do you express that helplessness how does that factor into the experience of the pieces you're making from your experiences of of being in Sudan?
2: Well, these pieces are mostly driven, so so that you'll know. I have a piece actually called "So That You'll Know," um, but I'm really just trying to bring attention to the condition of our um, sort of global information paradigm, which is. You know, it's highly propagandistic. It's very difficult to know if what we're hearing... Well, today we're hearing everybody, you know, Trump talking about fake news, but it's been a long time since there's been fake news. When I was in, like, elementary school or when I was learning history and we learned about World War II, one of the first things I remember learning about was the propaganda warfare of World War II. And I think it's pretty naive of us to think that we're not... Subject to propagandistic initiatives that uh, that are well that the internet is well exploited to deliver, and social media are extremely um, uh, well designed to subject us to. And I think, as you know, the human species we're kind of narrative engines, and we want to make sense of things. And uh, so, there's a lot of story that's put out for us to um, try to make sense of, but uh, it doesn't, I mean, where truth lies is, is unknown, except to those people who are local to the event and who are on the ground.
0: As a visual artist and as a media artist, how do you present the notion of narrative differently than, than it would be in a journalistic way?
2: Oh, I'm trying to give the whole story all at the same time, so amplify the condition of, um, you know, sort of, we're all inside, as long as we're inside the news, we're also inside the war, so we're not getting shot at, but we're getting bombarded with a lot of information, and oftentimes conflicting information, and, and... One of the things about this particular piece, Bread and Circuses, is that it shows how storylines are common around the world, but angles into the story are different. So we might get the same story from, um, you know, say, for example, last winter I was in Calcutta, and there were two events that happened um, during my... um, my time in India. One was that the Brussels airport was bombed Mm -hmm. and I had just a few days earlier transited Brussels. So that was a little bit scary for me um, to hear that that had happened. A couple weeks after that happened and I was in Calcutta, a bridge construction project collapsed and um, the international press reported that 28 people were killed in that bridge collapse i don't remember how many people were killed in brussels uh, lots of people were wounded um, i think under 10 people were killed uh, or the the reported death toll was under 10 people i think i don't remember exactly however um i went to the site of the bridge collapse in calcutta and i recognized that uh, several hundred people were were, were were flattened by this bridge, concrete girders, or concrete bridge and massive steel girders that fell down. And uh, I don't know the origins of the death toll. I think that the death toll comes from numbers of people who are reported and confirmed dead. In any case, I interviewed people local to the site and asked them, um, was this important, as important an event as the Brussels airport bombing, and they said, no, the Brussels airport bombing was m- massively more important world event than the Cal- Calcutta Bridge collapse. Uh, I found that very curious and very painful, that, uh, that life value um, is different depending on uh, where in the world we live, and... Mm-hmm. Um, how well we expect to live in that in that part of the world. So, it was pretty ridiculous the idea of 28 people um, killed in that in that bridge collapse to me. It would have been an anomaly anywhere in Calcutta to have only 28 people under a bridge where most people are, you know, making market and traveling, uh, walking in the shade or traveling by. The powered rickshaw, cars, every manner of vehicle.
3: Um,
2: so, yeah. Uh, uh, this was an event that happened after I made this piece, Bread and Circuses, but, you know, just it's an example of how the story is very different depending on where in the world you hear the story and what kind of experience of the story that you have.
0: How is that experience of the bridge collapse determining where you want to go forward, in your future works
2: oh well you know I think um, the work coming out of India is still in process and still coming through me and um, I continue to be interested in in death toll statistics and actually statistics in general because um, statistics are numbers so I think that like photographs, like once upon a time, we believed the photograph was a representation of truth, and we still have that holdover. Um, But statistics, because they're numbers, are mathematical, and generally we believe in math as truth. But statistics require human intervention in order to tell the story, which is narrative, and narrative is subjective. So I'm very interested in continuing to work with this idea of subjectivity and, and truth in statistics simultaneously.
0: So in the sense your artworks provide a context in which to interpret in which to interpret those statistics?
2: Um, well, for example, in the, in the one channel that is the up-solid battle-related death, to, um, battle related death uh, database, this is my way of, of of making narrative with those numbers. There will be a lot of ways to make narrative with those numbers. We can talk about countries. We can talk about political borders. We can talk about uh, designate terror organizations and official militaries, and um, we can talk about uh, civilian casualties, and uh, we can talk about com- uh, enemy combatants. These all words. These words all provide. Um, narrative to the numbers and um, so yeah I'm I'm thinking about you know databases and statistics and archives as material for art making Um, but at the same time I'm very curious about all of what archives are and um, all of what databases are so for example I was in I was um, uh, this amazing and very intense experience Um, in which I was the uh, guest of a business person who owns a massive collection of osteological specimens by massive I mean pointing to bodies in the thousands and I uh, spent some time working with this collection and uh, during that process I really started to think about um, you know when we have a a lot of something it, it becomes very compelling so maybe one or two or three bones are interesting but when we have tens of thousands of bones in one place um, there's a whole other story that could be told from that and so the same thing goes with statistics relating to death tolls for example one or two or three death tolls are um, are compelling and interesting and we can be dismayed and uh, we can gossip and tell a lot of stories about those events but when the numbers of events become so great um, it becomes increasingly difficult to narrativize them so I think similarly with um, you know global media internet news and social media uh, the sheer amount of information we're subject to disables our capacity to narrativize. And, uh, and, and we need, and I think as a, as a species, we're dependent on narrative to make sense of our surroundings. So I find it a little bit um, debilitating, and I'm interested in that notion of being debilitated by information.
1: An estimated 26 people were killed in a 2012 conflict Israel vs Hamas. An estimated 38 people were killed. In a 2012 conflict, Iraq vs ISI, an estimated, 565 people were killed. In a 2012 conflict, India vs. CPI Maoist, an estimated 242 people were killed. In a 2012 conflict, Thailand vs. Pitani insurgents. An estimated 132 people were killed. In a 2012 conflict, Pakistan versus BLA, an estimated 42 people were killed. In a 2012 conflict, Pakistan versus
0: that was my conversation with Nicola Feldman Kiss about her work as a transmedia artist and her work Bread and Circuses, which is on exhibit at the Deep Artists Festival until March 25th. For more info, go to nasa.ca. Bread & Circus is part of a multi-venue exhibit that also includes the online work by Instant Places that we heard about last month on Making Waves. Their work, Carbon Sugar Air, is still available for online listening at carbon.nasa.ca. Also, the third work in that exhibit is being launched at a new venue for NASA in the near north region of Ontario in a small town called South River. That work is called Transmissions. It's by the Toronto Artist Collective Subzero Sub-Zero Arts. While they were setting up Transmissions, I took the opportunity to ask them a few questions about it.
4: Um, originally, we wanted to make a piece that um, was real, was physical. Um, we've done sort of more multimedia, um, less... Um,
5: more visual,
4: uh, yeah. More art, visual, video um,
5: sort of light so we wanted to do something that was
4: physical and had like a, a 3D um, experience, and we also wanted to bring in sounds that had this idea of receiving transmissions mm. from different areas of space around the world and different types of radio frequencies. And um, you know, we've often, you know, we do a lot of other musical projects, and we're often interested in the the music or the sounds that are kind of in between. The other sounds that are happening, That's some um, unheard music, kind of and uh, and and sort of radio transmissions—not uh, necessarily broadcasts, but kind of like the the, the artifacts of transmissions, mm-hmm. as you know. And uh, you know, like uh, you know, if you can, sunspot activity, it <laughs> gives you sort of different um, uh, you know tweaks and whistles and all sorts of in-between sounds. So we wanted to make a piece that kind of hearkened to those in between sounds and also kind of try to imagine something beyond that. Um you know, or are ta- not talking about, you know, alien life or anything like that, but just this idea of like you know we you know deep space transmissions. Um, sounds that
0: you wouldn't but, normally hear.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um and that's kind of like the the, the idea for this and that's how it can this shape became we wanted to have this idea of antennas. Um, and um, the idea that it did surround you, that it wasn't just necessarily a point source, it came from all places. Just like the idea it's like you know, there's transmissions and waves and radio frequencies around us all the time, whether we hear them or not. And uh, we just wanted to be, we were inspired by that, I guess.
0: Did you go to certain places to collect the sounds uh, to create that f- uh, feeling? Or is it all electronically generated to simulate that? Yeah.
5: Oh, we, we did a lot of processing of generated sounds and we went through and we uh, created a lot of things. We had an idea of what we wanted to hear. Um, obviously we can't really go out into space and record the sound of a sunspot or anything like that. So we basically did some research and sort of found some NASA sounds that we were interested in, and then we tried to sort of emulate those things and create something of our own, something that would be a little bit more unique. So we didn't use any actual sound sources; we created all of the sounds ourselves. Um, so it sort of um, adds to that sense of um, immersion and and uh, a complexity. Uh, staying true to the idea of what Dean was saying, what we had originally wanted to do, but it also adds an element of, you know, it's a created, it's a fabricated sort of thing that we have created ourselves. So it's sort of our vision of, you know, those unheard sounds, and our vision of the imaginary, or not imaginary, the uh, uh, unheard music. As right, in, an, in an abstract yeah. sense,
4: you know, abstract yeah. sound. Again, that's been part of our kind of repertoire for a, a while, and yeah. um, And it's been interesting to sort of, you know, when you play a sound or play a musical piece, or, you know, you can call it that, um, but the listener has a hard time kind of really kind of relating to it directly, it's interesting to see how, it's almost looking at, you know, abstract painting. It's Mm -hmm. like you you kind of put so much of yourself into it, or you can dismiss it immediately, or you can, you know, and um, I think that's what's interesting about sort of an abstract art form like this, and and many others, is that... um, you know, it's not just what you hear, but what you imagine you've heard and how much you know, the, the, the listener puts into it themselves. So uh, they, and sometimes very little, sometimes very much. Well, the
0: sculptural you know. context, the sculptural form provides a, a it, context it a to sense. which yeah. grounds yeah. Ground sort of grounds it,
5: And you sort of have the idea, coming back to what you were saying, the idea of antennas and the idea of transmissions. Already you're sort of invested a certain ideal with it. You know, you're imagining something that's being transmitted, something that's being received, something that's mm-hmm. coming from space, all of that. So there's like a, a framework that you base everything. And like you say, you invest, you know, however much you want to, whether you want to like really think about the piece or just sort of look at it vaguely and, you know, move on from it or whatever. It's what you decide to put into mm-hmm. it in your own investment.
0: Yeah. Uh, did the visual form come before the sound idea or how did they... The uh was there an order, or I, I did it all kind of develop the
3: same
5: If I remember correctly, I think that they were almost simultaneous, because I think that we had had the idea of you know, the sort of abstract sounds. We'd been talking a lot for a while. Originally, I think that the idea of the space sounds and the whistles and tweets and so forth, I think that was originally going to be the basis for a cult album or a hmm. musical project, mm-hmm. and I think that we were going to do that. And then we had an opportunity... Uh, I think, for a presentation in Montreal that we were looking for something. And we thought, well, why don't we incorporate that, you know, project that we had been working with and employ it in some other sort of visual way. And right away, when we started talking about the idea of space transmissions, in an artistic sense, it was very clear, you know, the idea of an antennae or something like that. I think for a while, we were calling it antennae. Something like that. Yeah, I think um, it was like, a working title was antennae.
4: it's interesting, because we have, you know, this is maybe our fifth... Installation um, six or something, six, um, and um, you know we like to try and progress, you know, from one you know, material or one sort of, um, you know, perspective um, each time, and so this was al- almost like a, a linear progression from the the, the um, we had like these touch cubes and lit up cubes and it's another kind of interactive piece, um, and you know we had this desire to you know, work with, with metal and, you know, move into different types of fabrication. And so it's almost like, you know, the, the idea is like the, mm-hmm. the, 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 sound based concepts and sort of our kind of desire to kind of move forward in different fabrication methods, you know, kind of met, yeah. you know, and, and I can't say exactly which came first, but it, they were very close to each yeah, other. Very much so. Um, you know, we had this idea of this, you know, this forest of spires, yeah. you know, and it's kind of something like this, maybe it's not so much a forest, it's maybe a, a meadow. Um, but, um, yeah.
5: I, th- I think that the actual end result, like, when you go with the idea of transmissions and space and everything, it's interesting to note there's almost an alien quality to them. Like, when you look at them, they have, like, an almost insectile sort of, you know, alien look to them. There's a certain starkness to them. But they have something, I don't want to say unnatural, but something that looks unearthly in some way.
0: That was Dean Hughes and Rick McLean from Sub-Zero Arts talking about their installation, Transmissions, which is on exhibit at the brand new Nasa North Media Arts Center in South River until March 5th. To conclude the show, I wanted to share some audio from the Deep Wireless 12 compilation just released on SoundCloud, which consists entirely of live performances from past Deep Wireless festivals. Many of these performances were aired live on WGXC, as well as online at Free 103.9. Here's an excerpt from Inside of Mine, which are a Toronto turntable duo who performed this piece back in 2008, which at the time plundered and manipulated sounds from past Deep Wireless radio art compilations. (laughs)
3: The level of tax, the level of tax, the level The types of letters and 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 no of letters and and the people that are not 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 Oh. <laughs> The answer to the question remains locked inside of these shells of our community and ethnicity and inkling that freedom can actually mean more than one thing. I'm trying very desperately to assimilate to the fear of the the um, I really First, just came this casualty of the olive and the olive and the and the olive and
0: You're listening to Making Waves on WGXC. That was an excerpt from a performance by Inside a Mine from 2008 Deep Wireless Festival. Thanks for listening. Join us next month at the same time for Making Waves, where we will share with you some more performances, this time from this year's Deep Wireless Festival.